All right. As we get into the word this morning, we are going to continue on in our study of the book of Ezekiel. And we're going to be in Ezekiel 21, and we're going to be reading the first seven verses of Ezekiel 21. So again, we are in Ezekiel 21, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. And as we do so, I would encourage you, even though you are in your home, to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And so let us read together Ezekiel 21, verses 1 through 7. And the word of God says this. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Jerusalem, and speak against the sanctuaries, and prophesy against the land of Israel, and say to the land of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, and I will draw my sword out of its sheath, and cut off from you the righteous and the wicked, because I will cut off from you the righteous and the wicked. Therefore, my sword will go forth from its sheath against all flesh from the north to the south. Thus, all flesh will know that I am the Lord, and I have drawn out my sword from its sheath, and it will not return to its sheath again. As for you, son of man, groan with breaking heart and bitter grief, groan in their sight. And when they say to you, why do you groan? You shall say, because of the news that is coming, every heart will melt, all hands will be feeble, every spirit will faint, and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it comes, and it will happen, declares the Lord God. Whoa! We have to just take a moment as we look at a passage like this and ask ourselves the question, what on earth is happening here? Now, I know that as we have spent a significant amount of time in Ezekiel, that we might have gotten used to the fact that, that there is a lot of judgment and a lot of warnings and, 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 and judgment oracles against the nation of Israel and what they are doing. But in this passage today, we have to acknowledge the reality that something has happened here. God has suddenly become very, very direct, even harsh with his words, and enough so that even the people who would have heard this prophecy in this day and at this moment would have had to have been taken back by the words of Ezekiel. We talk about this often as we get into Scripture. The intention of the words of God through the prophet Ezekiel in this passage are intended to be jarring. It is all too easy for us as we hear the, the words of God and as we get into Scripture in a week in and week out, and, and even as we're just getting it for that 30 minutes to an hour on Sunday once a week, it is, it is a tendency to us, for us to begin to become commonplace and it, to become commonplace and for us to be kind of numb to the words of God. It is during times such as this that God often jars us awake to realize the seriousness of being his people and what it means to follow him. This is not the God that we often expect to hear about on a Sunday morning. This is not the God that we often expect to encounter during our times of worship on Sundays or even in our Bible schools and our Bible studies and even in our small times. We expect to meet a God who is compassionate and slow to anger abounding in loving kindness as we read in the Psalms. So what is going on here? 
why is God speaking through Ezekiel in this manner? And what should we do with a prophecy like this one? And, and even as it begins in, in chapter 21, and even as it carries all the way through chapter 23. Well, to, to begin to even understand what is happening here, we have to understand that, that this passage in Ezekiel 21 is really a response to what has happened in Ezekiel 20. In fact, God has spoken to the nation of Israel in Ezekiel 20, and he's laid out for them the, the kind of history of their unfaithfulness among, uh, among the nation of Israel throughout the covenant. And he's gone through and he's saying from the very, very beginning, you have not been faithful to me from the very, very beginning. You have constantly wandered away. And because you are still faithless and you are still behaving in this manner, these are going to be the consequences of your actions. And then when all is said and done, and he gives them prophecy and he gives them warning, then he, then he gets to the very end of it, and we get to actually see how the people respond to him. And what they say after this last big, long, um, almost lecture on all the reasons why they need to repent and they need to, to come to the Lord in a spirit of repentance and contrition. And, and they come, he's, he's called them out to do this and how to respond. And then we get the response in verse 49. And uh, Ezekiel twenty forty nine says this. And then I said, Alas, Lord, for they are saying to me, is he not just speaking parables? See, Ezekiel has been warning them of the covenant and judgment if they do not repent. And yet their response is, oh, he's just telling stories. He's just telling us parables. He's just telling us fanciful stories that, that, that are meant to entertain but teach maybe us a little lesson on how we're supposed to behave. They are quite literally brushing him off not, and, and saying that he's just a storyteller, not a prophet. That he's an entertainer, that he is just there to, to put on a show for them. And, and, and through telling a story, teach them a lesson about how to be good and to do better. They were saying that he was telling fables, parables, and not delivering to them the words of God that demanded an immediate response. They did not take his warning seriously. And now God is going to speak to the people directly and plainly so that there would be no misunderstanding. As we look at what God says in chapter 21, and really even just in this passage that we have in front of us today of verses 1 through 7, we begin to realize some things about God that, that we need to kind of wake up and remember ourselves. God is speaking through this prophet, he is speaking through this prophet, and he is saying, read my lips. This is what is going to happen. And the warnings that he is giving to Israel today is something that we need to listen to because these things are still relevant. And these things reflect the character and the nature of God. And we need to understand these things so that we might respond correctly, unlike what Israel, what Israel is doing in our passage. So let's look at this. The first thing we need to really understand and we need to be jarred to awake about when it comes to God is this, that God really does hate sin. 
And I want you to, to think about that for just a second. God hates sin. He doesn't, he doesn't dislike it. He doesn't wish we would do something different. He doesn't wish that things were, were different. God hates sin. If we think about the nation of Israel, their sin had continued on from generation to generation. And now it had reached to the point that the exiled, the exiled um, Jews of Israel and even those living among the, the remains of Jerusalem and still living in the, in the area of Israel had got to the point that they have brushed aside the prophets of God who are warning them to repent. So now God speaks to them as plainly as he can when he says in verse 2, I am against you. We have this picture in our heads of a God who never actually gets this way. Most of us, when we think about who God is, we cannot fathom or imagine a God that would ever look at any person and say, I am against you. And if we did, we would assume it would have to be the most awful and heinous person in the world. It would have to be the mass murderer, the genocidal maniac, the evil ruler, someone that is, is, is bad in a way that we would never put ourselves in. And yet God is not speaking to just mass murderers or some awful, awful, awful despot, but rather he is speaking to the entire nation of Israel. See, too often today, we, we want to take God and we want to make him kind of this big heavenly grandfather. And, and we have this big heavenly grandfather and he's looking down on us. And, and no matter what we do, we think that he's just like, oh, aren't they precious? Aren't they just so cute? Oh, leave that boy alone. He's just, he's just being a boy. He's just being a girl. And that he would never, ever actually do anything to punish us or to discipline us. And see, what's interesting here is that that is exactly how Israel has begun to look at God. Israel has begun to look at God as this, this, this figure that kind of represents them, and he's there for their protection, and he's there to kind of take care of them, and he's going to make sure that they never get completely wiped out, and, and God is always going to be good to us because we're his people. We're the sons of Abraham. We're the descendants of Israel. And so God's never going to do anything really, really bad to us. Even if we go worship other gods and try to seek the benefits that they might give us, God may go, now, now, I told you not to do that. But he's not going to actually do anything. And while, yes, God is a God of love and God is an, an amazing person who will never leave us nor forsake us. He is also a God who, can, who is consistently revealed in Scripture as one who hates wickedness and lawlessness and sin. See, God is more than just a God of love. God is a just God. Let me show you from the Scriptures how God reveals his heart towards justice and righteousness. Psalm 5.5 5 says this, it says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. This is the psalmist speaking to God. He says, For you hate all who do iniquity. Psalm 11.5 says this, it says, The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. 
Zechariah 8.17 even says this. It says, Also let none of you deceive, devise evil in your heart against one another, and do not love perjury, for all these are what I hate, declares the Lord. We can even go to the, the New Testament and begin to look at what it says there, and we can even see how God's character and his hatred of sin is something that he, he expects out of us as well, and it is something that he, he transfers over to us and saying, Just because I hate sin, you hate sin. If we look at Romans 12, verse 9, he says, Let us love without hypocrisy, hate what is evil, but cling to what is good. God's direct and forceful speech towards the people of Israel reveals that God hates sin, and because of that, we ought to do so as well. This is the very character and the nature of God, and it is something we ought to take very seriously. And let me tell you something, that has to start with us. It might be all too easy for us to say, yes, I'm going to start hating sin. I'm going to start getting angry about sin. And I'm going to really just, I'm going to be appalled by it and, and just have a visceral reaction to it. And then immediately go out the door and start pointing out the sin and everyone else and, and why you hate it and all that stuff. But that's not the point of this passage. God is not calling Israel to judge the nations around them. He is calling them to repentance. And so when we talk about hatred of sin, that hatred of sin has to start in us. And we have to look inward and begin to look at our heart and our actions and our attitudes and our behavior and see the sin in us and begin to loathe and hate the sin in us in such a way that it brings about change. That it moves us to repentance. When we see the sin in us and we hate the sin in us that will lead us to God to call out for saving repentance and that he would deliver us from our sin and begin to take us in another direction. This is the proper response to the acknowledgement that God hates sin. We actually see this in Paul. As Paul was writing to the church in Rome, in Rome, Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 23, we see these words. He says, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? See, that's exactly what Paul is talking about in this passage. He is recognizing his sin, and he's recognizing even though he wants to do what God wants him to do, that he wants to live righteously, that he wants to, to be completely sold out in every way perfect for the Lord, he recognizes that he is not, and that sin still exists in his life and in his actions and in his behaviors and even in his thoughts, and he hates it. And so he cries out to the Lord that the Lord might deliver him from these things, longing for the day that he will no longer have sin in his person at the day of the resurrection. Paul hated his sin. He didn't cover it up. He didn't justify it. He repented. And that's exactly what we should do as well. So... If God does, in fact, hate sin, which I think is very clear, not only from our passage today, but from all of Scripture, then we also have to acknowledge that because he hates sin, that he must, in his righteousness, deal with sin. 
This is the reality of who he is as the creator and as the sovereign Lord and as this just king over all of Israel, that if indeed he hates sin, therefore he has to deal with sin. As we look again at the text, we begin to see exactly what he says. And he says this, he says, I will draw my sword out of its sheath and cut off from you the righteous and the wicked. Now, this sword that he is talking about is understood to mean that this of God's judgment over Israel. This is an image that, that would not be new to the Israelites. This is something that they have been hearing since the Exodus. So, you know, if we look back into verse 20, verse 49, and their accusation, well, he's just speaking in parables. We might look at something like this and say that since he's using kind of a sword analogy that Israel's like, well, see, he's still, he's still talking in parables, but that's really not the case. In reality, what he is doing is, is he is using a, a terminology that God uses often, which is not a surprise. God is the one who is speaking here to, under, to, to communicate what he is doing in a way that they should have understood for, for generations. This is to be understood and viewed that God is making a judgment against Israel. He is declaring judgment against Israel because of their unwillingness to repent and return to a covenant relationship with God. We need to recognize this truth today as well. God is going to deal with sin. He is going to deal with sin in our lives. He is going to deal with sin in the lives of people around us. He is going to deal with sin in this world. We read about this both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We could go to Hebrews verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 27, where he says, It is appointed for men to die once, and after this come judgment. There is not a person in this world that will escape standing before God in judgment. We read about the ultimate final judgment in Revelation chapter 20 when it says this. John says, And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up their dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. God is a just God, and he is a just God who addresses sin. It is something that we have to see and we have to realize. We cannot even, whether we are a follower of Christ or we are not a follower of Christ, we cannot think that our sins are not going to get discovered, that our sins are not going to be dealt with. Sometimes, in the, by the grace of God, our sins are dealt with in this life. And we reap the consequences of our sin and we, we have to deal with the consequences of our sin. And, and Lord willing, that leads us to repentance so that those sins are forgiven and those sins are blotted out and those sins are remembered no more. But as we continue to hide our sin and, and, and try to make it like it doesn't exist and, like, and refuse to acknowledge it and refuse to repent of it, there's going to come a point where we are going to stand before God and we are going to have to give an account for our life. And this means that the things that we did that we knew were contrary to God and against God, we're going to have to answer for and it also means that when we refuse to do the things that God has called us and commanded us to do, that we're going to have to answer for that. And let us hope and pray that we are in Christ, 
Because we have given our lives to Christ that even though we will answer for our sin, we will still be saved. And we need to make sure that as we engage with with the world and as we engage with people who do not know Christ, that they can hear the good news of the gospel. Because if not, they will stand before God one day in judgment and ultimately be condemned for their sins. This leads us to the last thing that we want to understand from this passage. And that is that if it, le- if it is left this way, we are in a bad shape. If we're really honest with ourselves, the only reason, the only reasonable response for any of us is the same response of Ezekiel. As we look again at verses 6 and 7, we read these. He says, as for you, son of man, groan with breaking heart and bitter grief and groan in in their sight. And when they say to you, why do you groan? You shall say, because of the news which is coming and every heart will melt and all hands will be feeble and every spirit will be faint and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it will happen, declares the Lord. When we look at the response of Ezekiel, we recognize that he comes to a a, a state of of sorrow and mourning and bitterness. If we think about the reality that God hates sin and God is going to deal with sin, if we are really honest with ourselves, if we really look inward and recognize our sin, we're going to come to the realization that all of us have sin in our lives, that we have all wandered away from God, that we have all chosen what we want over what God wants in our lives, that we, will all, that we have all at some point in our life told a lie, responded in anger, been unmerciful towards others, given ourselves over to lust or to greed or to covetedness. And all of those things infect our heart. And we recognize the hopelessness of what he is saying here when he says, Behold, it comes and it will happen. There is a hopelessness to Israel in this moment that their sin has led them to this place of judgment and the wrath of God. But, and yes, there is a but, and yes, there is good news even in Ezekiel chapter 21. But God is still compassionate and gracious. That is an amazing thing that we have to think about is we have to recognize God is going to deal with sin and God hates sin and he's going to deal with sin. And yet God is still is still gracious and merciful and abounding in loving kindness, that he is still gracious and and righteous to forgive us our sins, that God is still God. And that we are not left in a place of complete hopelessness. God is sending his sword which we understand is going to be Nebuchadnezzar and all of his armies. But God goes on to say in verse 27 something very interesting that I want us to note today. In Ezekiel 21, verse 27, we read this. He says, A ruin, a ruin, a ruin, I will make it. This also will be no more until he comes whose right it is, and I will give it to him. See, God is even speaking in this moment of a time of mercy that there will come a time where the rightful owner, the rightful ruler of Jerusalem will return and claim Jerusalem for himself. 
Jeremiah, Ezekiel's contemporary, also spoke of these things. Jeremiah chapter 23, starting in verse 5, we read these words. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a branch, a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. See, Israel is going to have to face the consequences for their sin and rebellion. But God is not going to completely destroy them or cut them off. Instead, he is going to one day send a Messiah who would not only save them, but would also be righteous for them. We know this man and we know who he is today. And he is Jesus. See, this is the good news of the gospel for us and for everyone outside of here as well. That even though we are sinners and that God, is, is, that God hates our sin and he's going to deal with our sin and he's going to judge us for our sins. Nevertheless, we have hope and that hope is found in the man Jesus Christ who not only came to pay the price for our sin, but also came to be our righteousness. That he would be righteous for us and in our place so that we might once again have a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and be able to enjoy him throughout eternity. Paul wrote about this as he was talking to the church in Corinth and he says this, he says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the great exchange that exists between us and and God and Christ, is that even though we are sinners and dead in our sin and deserving the judgment, just like Israel did in the days of Ezekiel, we have God who, who has stepped in in his great love and sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, And Jesus died on the cross, paying the price for our sins, and made this great exchange where our sin was applied to him on the cross. And at that same moment, his righteousness, the righteousness that we could not live up to, was transferred onto us so that when we stand before God, it is no longer our sin and our failure and our our unfaithfulness that he sees, but he sees Christ. And his righteousness and his faithfulness and his salvation comes through that. The Bible says that if we place our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, if we confess him as Lord and Savior, we will be saved. And Christ will be our righteousness. As Ezekiel spoke these words, Nebuchadnezzar marched on Jerusalem to destroy it. The nation did most certainly experience God's judgment and God's wrath. But God left them a glimmer of hope. And it would be a hope that he would spend the rest of the book beginning to explain to them. And it is a hope that he still offers us today. All of us have sinned against God. And because God is just and he hates sin... He will deal with our sin. It's for this very reason that the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. But through Christ Jesus, we have hope. 
hope of redemption, hope of salvation, hope that we will be made righteous through Christ. It is this hope that we offer to you today. Will you place your faith in Christ Jesus? Will you come to him and repent of your sins, confess Jesus as Lord, and begin to walk with him? Or will you remain as Israel did, stubborn and unwilling to repent? When you stand before God, will he say, my beloved son, or will he say, I am against you? I pray that today you choose to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. That you would surrender your life to him. And that he would save you and be your righteousness for you. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, we thank you so much for today. God, we praise you that you are good. And that you are, are compassionate even in the midst of, of being a, a just and righteous God. Father God, we recognize the fact that, that the good news of the gospel is only good news if we recognize how bad sin is. That you hate sin and that you are obligated as a just God to punish sin. God, I pray that our response to that is repentance. Of, of, of turning our lives over to you, of putting our faith and trust in you, of recognizing the sin in our life and putting it out. And God, that, that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would begin to make us new. My God and my joy. Lord, I pray that there is not one person who watches this video who does not surrender their life to you, even if that means doing it again because they've not been living for you for the past while. God, I pray that they would surrender their life to you, that they would recognize the sin in their own heart and in their own life, that they would hate it and that they would repent of it and turn away and follow you all the more. God, thank you so much for your grace and your forgiveness and the hope that we have in Christ. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.